Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Benjamin. And we are also joined by another friend of ours from the tour, the coach Sandra Zanevska, who is here joining us via Skype from Poland. And I heard, Sandra, you just played tennis? Is that that's still a thing people do? Yes, apparently it is, <laughs> at least here. <laughs> Hello. Just start with the most recent stuff first, and we'll get more into your, your story and how we know you from tour and everything. But what has it been? What you, You've started playing tennis again. That's that's very exciting. We're recording this on May 12th, and people are playing tennis. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Poland has been on lockdown for quite a while. When I came back from States, I had to stay in quarantine for two weeks. That's actually still mandatory for everyone that's coming back uh, from abroad. So after the two, week, um, two weeks of being locked up in the house, I went out. And it was still pretty much illegal to go anywhere except for like emergency and groceries. But since 4th of May, so a week now and a bit, uh, yeah, we are able to play tennis outside only. So we have to count on good weather, which it has been okay so far. But for example, last night it snowed. And I mean, it's May 12th. Oh, so wow. again, <laughs> wow, like you never know what, what's going to happen this year, I feel like. Uh, but yeah, we are allowed to play and... It feels good. It feels good to be back on court. Does it feel Does it feel foreign? I mean, like, because our lives have been so disrupted by this. I'm just curious for, my, for whenever I have to get back to doing whatever it is I do in the world, if I'll, like, remember how to do it. But did everything, did it feel like you'd been away longer than actually the amount of time was? Because I'm guessing you've had times in your life where you've not played tennis for a month or six weeks or something. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, also, like, I don't play tennis so often now either. It's just that it's more like I'm on the court every day coaching, but it's not so much that I'm playing tennis for myself. So it's a nice change. Of course, I'm uh, everything's hurting. Uh, yesterday I played for the first time and uh, it's, it's, I mean, my cool down was longer than the practice actually. So <laughs> <laughs> I need the stretching, I need the rolling, but, but it's fun. You know, today I played again and it feels different, but it doesn't really feel foreign. I mean, it's been a long break, but, I've been busy as well, doing a lot of things at home, so it's okay. It doesn't feel that bad, at least not yet. Sandra, I'm I'm curious. You said you know two week quarantine uh, being mandatory, staying inside. You've often, when we've talked, said like how kind of hyperactive you are, and there's a lot of energy to burn off. So what was that like, kind of not being able to 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 go outside to be active? Um, and did you kind of come out of it? okay like mentally and physically or, or was it was it a struggle well you know the first couple of days i was struggling with a jet lag and it was actually i think one of the worst jet lags i had in my life like one day <laughs> I, I went to bed at 2 a.m and i woke up at 3 p.m i had no idea what's going on where am i what time zone i'm in nothing and um obviously it was tricky because during the quarantine in poland uh, the police can check up on you every single day and if hmm. you cannot sort of show yourself in the window or at the door well you've got a big problem you can be fine so you know i woke up and i had like 800 missed calls from like my family and and, and friends and you know oh, no. i was like oh my god i just hope that there's like no unknown numbers you know that the police really hasn't come here and and checked on me 
which the case was they didn't so so i was lucky enough but everybody was worried like how can you sleep until 3 p.m i'm like i, I don't know it never happened to me before in my life like you know um so the first couple of days were was fighting the jet lag and then later on i'm lucky i have a garden so i was working out in the garden courtney you can check out my instagram and there you will see <laughs> one of the workouts that i'm 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 using like water bottles and whatever i found at home to to do that uh obviously i couldn't even get out to get groceries so i had my friends doing that so very grateful to have people around me that can help me with with doing that and the rest of the time i mean i was really active reading a lot and working on some new projects for myself uh everything was obviously still so new but i often found that i didn't even have enough time during the day to do all that i wanted to do so I was still hyperactive, just not physically as much. <laughs> Good, to okay. Good to hear. It's pretty okay. Good to hear you're still you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so to get just a little background for, for listeners who have who don't know your story as well, um, and on what has made you you, you were a player on tour. And I guess, can you just sort of talk about your your playing career first, and then how you decided to, uh, to stop playing? Yeah, well, I, I've been playing for quite a bit. Uh, I started when I was 10 years old. It was pretty accidental, actually. I didn't want to... I mean, I was very active and uh, I wanted to skateboard because my brother did skateboarding and I was begging my mom to get me one. And she was like, no, I really don't want you to do that. It's not girly. You know, you should do something else, oh. something that girls do. And and I was like, well, I just want to skateboard. And finally, I, I convinced her we went to a store to buy the skateboard and there she met a friend that she didn't see for like years and years. And, you know, they've been catching up and, and she asked her like, well, my, I mean, my mom asked the friend, like, what is your son doing? And she said, my son's playing tennis. And I was like, oh, there you go. I'll take you to the tennis court. And I was like, oh God, you know, again, some <laughs> stupid idea. But then we went to the tennis court and it turned out that I actually liked it quite a lot. And um, I was progressing quite fast and yeah, it, it just sort of went on from there, but I never really planned on playing professional. It, it was so natural when I was still, I was 16 years old, I think playing French Open uh, juniors. My mom came there with me and um, I beat the number one seed in the second round over there. And I think this was the first moment in my life that I actually realized like, hey, I think I really want to do this for a living. You know, I think I really want to go for it. So I think it was pretty late. Um, my mom was always telling me like, you know, if you... If you don't enjoy it anymore, you can stop any day. You know, you you just I just want you to be happy, and so I really had no pressure. It was pretty easy going from from my parents' side, um, and then yeah, I started playing professional. The first couple of years on tour were quite up and down for me, but I was also traveling myself mostly without a coach, so I think that made it a bit tougher on me. Then finally, when I was um, twenty, I I got into qualifying of the Grand Slam of grand slams um i qualified the only grand slam main draw that i played was wimbledon in 2012 and also that year i started getting injured quite some playing more matches winning more and also getting injured and from then on my career was quite up and down uh pretty much with injury so you know i was playing then stopping then playing again and stopping it was quite frustrating uh, a lot of different things but everything around the low back area and then at one point um Petra was coming back, Martic, my previous player, the player I worked with before, she was coming back to play. I knew her from the tour before, um, and she asked me if I wanted to do a couple of weeks with her, and I was like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I mean, 
I was quite frustrated with the way things were going with my body, but I didn't really know what else I wanted to be doing, even though I tried a couple of other things, but it's a different story. Um, and then, yeah, it, it, it somehow it went that way from there, you know, from a couple of weeks, it became full time. And well, here, here I am now on the tour in a completely different role. Yeah. So you, oh, the player you beat oh, in the second round of French Open was Laura Robson. It was the top seed, is that right? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, another, another past NCR guest, actually, Laura Robson. So, so we've spoken before about your journey getting into being a coach on tour, but there's um, still a lot of, like, you didn't think this was possible when you stopped because you, you were telling me when we talk, talked last year with the French Open, so almost exactly a year ago, when you were saying that um, you just didn't see any female coaches or many female coaches on tour. So when you stopped playing, you didn't think it was a possibility, really, to become a, a full-time coach even on the WTA tour I'm just curious if you can sort of explain to people your your thinking on that or your assumption of that and then and then how you were able to sort of change your mind and change perceptions of what's possible yeah exactly I mean I I you know I didn't even honestly I didn't even want to be a coach um it always seemed to me like a really lonely job and I was like well you know I can do anything in life but the last thing I'm going to do is to I'm going to be a tennis coach so ironically enough, this is what I am now, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, the reason I didn't want to be a coach was, yeah, like I said, it you know seemed to me like, first of all, it's such a lonely job. You are away so often. Uh, you can lose your job at any time, which is also not great if you're thinking like long-term security, you know, in your life. Uh, and I already had enough of that because as a player, it's the same. You know, you get injured, you stop earning money, um, back to square one. And then on top of that, I was a female. Uh, I mean, I am a female. Uh, and yeah, you just don't see female coaches almost at all. So I figured like, okay, you know, this is just, yeah, th th there's just no way it's going to happen. And then somehow it uh, it actually worked out. And here I am now, I wouldn't change this for anything. And I think that um, the reason we, I mean, there are probably a couple of reasons why we don't have that many female coaches on the tour. And I think one of them is simply the fact that you know, females, they they prefer to, I guess, stay at home, you know, at one point when they have kids. They, they don't want to travel as much anymore. I mean, it's still like sort of a stereotype that the woman stays at home and the man is the one that works. Um, and I think it, it definitely has to have something to do with that. But second of all, I think that we just don't have enough female leaders uh, in the world in general, you know. And then when you think when you think of a coach of a tennis coach, you think of men, you don't really think of a woman. Um, and then players see it that way as well. You know, they think, okay, they think of a coach, they think that, that men have authority and women don't have as much of it. And I think that's a bit misleading. Um, and I don't think that, you know, we should look at it gender wise. And I hope that's going to change. I hope that uh, one day players will see that actually uh, female coaches can also give them value. But at the end of the day, you know, again, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to differentiate because to me, a coach is a coach. It doesn't matter whether a coach is a female or it's a male. Um, the only thing I would want as a player is to see if the coach can give me value. Yeah. That's it. Did, did you ever have a female coach during your own playing days? Yes, I did too. Hmm. So for you, it wasn't something, it was already relatively familiar concept for you i guess or something that you yeah yeah and and like i said you know for me it didn't really matter like um 
actually, yeah, it was easier for me to communicate with women. Uh, so with female coaches, it was a little bit easier. But then again, I had them at the end of my career. So I was also a bit older. I don't think I can compare it to when I was a teenager, you know, because then uh, again, uh, I was a different person. I was a bit younger. I was treating coaches more as a, yeah, you know, in a different way. Like when, when you're already an older player, it's more of a partnership. When you're younger, the, the coach is the one that tells you more what to do all the time. Later on, you try to figure things out together. So it's a bit different. I don't think I can really compare that. Uh, but it, it didn't really matter to me ever whether it was, a, it was a male or a female. The only thing that was important for me, like I said, is, you know, what, what they can teach me, what I can get from them. What surprised you the most about, because um, you said that you were obviously, you know, hesitant to go into coaching initially um, and thought that it might be lonely and, and things like that. So, you know, given how much you do enjoy it, uh, what what surprised you the most once you got into it that maybe, you know, you didn't you didn't expect that you would like certain aspects of the job as much as you do? <laughs> what surprised me and kind of scared me also is how I am used to traveling. And then I was like, <laughs> oh my God, am I ever going to like get rid of that in my life? You know, am I ever going to be able to come back to one place and actually be there for like more than a week or two or three? Here comes Corona. Exactly. <laughs> you can find out now. But you know what? Actually, right now I don't mind. But again, it's like I'm doing a lot of different things. So maybe that's why. Uh, but then again, right now we are sitting at home and, you know, we're just waiting for, for the news. Like, okay, when, when are we going to be able to get back there? So, uh, and I think if they're going to tell us like, Hey, it's going to be in January, it's we're we're probably all going to be very, very upset and sad and frustrated. But right now it's like, okay, July, you know, soon it's probably going to be okay. August. And, and I guess if they keep on moving it this way, then it just feels different, you know what I mean? Like the hope is is different the way you look at it. Um, you don't want so but, you don't want them to dash your hope, because some players are like, nah. let's just call it. Other, you know, other people are like, no, 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 like let's keep trying. Like everybody kind of has a different perspective on it. Yeah, I'm I'm not really thinking about that much actually at all. You know, um, I I'm like, okay, you know, people are taking care of that. If smart people are taking care of that, let's leave it up to them and tell us when we are able to get back and that's it. And I, I'm trying really not to speculate because every time I start thinking about it, I feel, yeah, helpless, you know? And and it's like, yeah. okay, what's the point? You know, it, it feels to me like a waste of time to, to do that. So, so I don't even go there anymore. It was like this in the beginning when the Indian Wells was canceled and all that a couple of weeks after that. But right now it's just like, I'm just waiting for the news and whatever the news is going to be, I'm going to adjust. But I think it's better for for people i think it's better for people if if they move it gradually yeah yeah you, that's that's my opinion you you had mentioned uh, obviously indian wells and i know you and i talked and you uh you had stuck around in the states for a while after indian wells was canceled and uh spent some time in chicago with your aunt right i think yes or, yes yeah. i also went for a little road trip um <laughs> yes <laughs> in california and arizona yeah, yeah, your solo Thelma and Louise trip uh, through the yeah. uh, the California the, through <laughs> the West, um, but uh, but your aunt is a is a healthcare professional, right? A nurse or doctor? Yes. Yeah, a doctor. So I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, like that experience of kind of staying with her for, you know, for however long that you were with her before you were able to get back to Poland. Like, do you feel like that gave you, you know, a different uh, different perspective on kind of what is happening right now globally? 
Uh, well, you know, my aunt is, is, is one person, but my parents are also doctors, so here I am back. I mean, I'm not staying with them, but obviously we're, we're close. We're talking every day. And um, yes and no. Um, you know, I think <laughs> it's a tough subject. You know, it's, it's a really hard subject and, and one that I don't like to get into because I'm not... I'm not really, I don't want to say that I'm not interested because I am, of course, it's a very important issue for the world. But at the same time, I feel like I'm not competent enough to do anything with that. And to me, if I feel like I'm not competent enough to, to help that or do anything with that, then I'm looking for ways what I can do for myself and for the world so that in this time it can be better. So uh, I'm not, I'm not following the news. I, of course, at the start, when, when I came to Chicago and I was with my auntie, we talked a little bit about this whole situation, but it was maybe only one evening and that's it. And we didn't talk about it anymore. Here I am with my parents. Um, sometimes they call me and they tell me that there is some restriction going on and that I should watch out. Like, for example, we have now mandatory masks in Poland and my mom called me and she's like, hey, you know, uh, please get a mask, it's mandatory now to wear it outside. And I didn't even know because I'm not watching the news at all. So I'm not following gotcha, what's yeah. going on that much. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's just, I, I'm very similar to be quite honest. Like I think I was following it a lot early on and it just got to the point where it, it, um, it was costing me probably mentally mm. more than it was benefiting me to, to be as, as engaged and, informed so it's for me it's just like what is my city doing what is my county doing what is my state doing and that's it like I don't have yeah. the mental uh energy uh at the moment to to really care about anyone else and that sounds so cruel but that's not that it's just that it, it doesn't it just doesn't matter it it right now it's just kind of trying to get through each day you know yeah but you know I don't I don't think it really is not caring about anyone else I think it's more that well what can we do anyways? You know, we, we not, we consume that information. It's coming to us all the time, but can we really do anything about it? Like on a collective exactly, level? Yeah. No, not at all. And then I think the question is like, okay, do we want to be like, do we want to engage in this, engage in this constant exchange of information and every second new, new stuff coming, coming at us? Or do we want to just take that time and use it in a better way, in a way that, yeah, it's going to help us grow and, and in a way that we can contribute to the world through the things we know best. You know, for me, it's tennis. For me, it's uh, talking about it, thinking about it, thinking how I can be better for myself, for my player, uh, all that, you know. And yeah, that's I think that's probably the best way to use that time. Sandra, can you just take, take us back to India Wells, what it was like the moment you heard that the tournament there was canceled and sort of the events that unfolded for you professionally after that? <laughs> the way I, I the way I heard the tournament was cancelled was Alize texting me, Can you believe they cancelled Indian Wells? <laughs> and me reading the WhatsApp and I'm like, You gotta be kidding me. This is probably some prank or something. It cannot be happening. And she's like, No, it's really happening. Come on, pick me up. We have to make a plan. And I was like, Wow, are you kidding me? This is crazy. Because obviously she found out from social media. And um so first I picked her up and I was like it's okay, don't panic, it, it must be some prank, it cannot be true, I mean, they, they would have let us know, right, like, in some different way than reading it on Twitter or Facebook, but obviously it, it's true, and um, yeah, 
the, the the first hours, the first days for me, I think I was in 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 shock because I was in disbelief. I was like, nah, this this cannot be happening. I mean, it's too big of an event for for anything to happen. But then at the same time, a couple of weeks before that, I was saying that, yeah, probably they're going to cancel all the tournaments soon because it cannot just go on like this. So I don't even know what I was thinking at the very start, to be honest. It was, uh, I think it was quite a shock for me. And then the day after we had the WTA uh, meeting um, and before that we went on the court with Alize to just have a bit of fun. Um and yeah, it was quite tricky, you know, because we didn't know what to do. We didn't know whether we should stay, whether we should go back and then come back from Miami. Uh, at the meeting, they told us that Miami is planning to operate even without spectators. And, you know, they were like, it's most probably going to happen. And I was sitting at that meeting thinking like, no way, there's no way it's going to happen. If they cancel Indian Wells, they're probably going to cancel Miami and everything after that. But then, you know, you're thinking one thing, you're hearing the other and at the same time, you have no idea. So, yeah, it was quite tricky. Um, I mean, Alize, she wanted to go back home. She was like, you know, if there's no tournament, I'm not sticking around. I was like, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I mean, that's 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 up to you, you know, your decision. Um, we just got to see what's going to happen. But I, I was betting on Miami not happening as well. Uh, so she left. I stayed on my solo trip, which was awesome, by the way. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. You know, we, we've just been in touch with Alize and, uh, kind of taking it day by day because that's what was happening at the time. And, uh, at one point, I don't even remember when, uh, they canceled then Miami and then Charleston and then everything else after that, it just, you know, kept on rolling downhill and yeah, we are in, in this suspense ever since really. I mean, for Alize, she's been stuck in, in at home for the last six weeks. I think she wasn't allowed to go out for more than one kilometer away. So no tennis. Um, obviously, today was the first day that, she, that they could go out and actually play. Uh, no, sorry, yesterday, but the weather was bad. So today she was first time on the court. And yeah, that's, that's what it is, you know, just waiting it out. Um, so what, what were you telling, in the early days of things were happening, were you telling Alize to keep, you know, training like it's normal to to focus more on fitness, to try to find court somewhere, or just like just sort of hang up the racket and wait. I mean, what what is your what was your initial strategy or, or thought and on what to do when when things start stopping so suddenly? Well, it obviously depends on you know when tennis is getting back. But since we knew it wasn't getting getting back like any any soon and any soon, I mean, it's a month or two then. My idea and my advice is always to leave the racket. I mean, it makes no sense to hit every day. It's okay if, if she hits like once or twice a week, you know, and uh, yeah, just keeps in shape. Just um, do fitness. I mean, she told me that in five weeks, she had only two days off. I was like, okay, this is crazy. <laughs> like, wow. you are crazy. Uh, but obviously, that's her discipline. And um, this is also one of the reasons why she's she's such a good player for such a long time that, you know, she's just able to do that herself at home without anyone telling her to do that, anyone pushing her. Um, and right now, again, you know, I, in, in my eyes, it's okay to hit just twice a week. I wouldn't even hit more two, three times a week because, you know, you, you want the player hungry when the tournaments are coming back. And then when we know when they are coming back, then do, you know, again, 
um, a preparation of four or five weeks and that's it. And then they're ready to go. But I think if they keep on, you know, hitting and keep on practicing every single day without knowing when, when the tournaments are starting again, it's, it's just going to make them tired, you know, because at the end of the day, players also play to compete. So this competition, this thrill of competition is what gets them going as well. For you, what do you think is the biggest struggle right now for if you're a professional tennis player, male or female, you know, and, and you know, you're home and you don't know when the season is necessarily going to restart. You're hoping for, you know, June, July um, and everything. What, what's, what do you think is the toughest thing for tennis, pro tennis players to deal with right now? Mm, that's a good question. I think there could be a couple of things. Uh, one of them is definitely this decision what to do, whether to play, whether to practice or not to practice, to keep in shape or not keep in shape. And then I think for a lot of them, um, it could be also the fact that, you know, that's what they've been doing their whole lives for God knows how many years. All they've done this time of the year and most time of every year was traveling and playing tournaments and right. feeling that adrenaline, you know, that rush, all those emotions. And right now it's just so stagnant. And now the question becomes like, okay, now what? You know, is there anything else in life? And um, I mean, I'm guessing that this could be the case. I don't know. I think uh, it's probably when I was young it could have been a problem for me it was a problem for me when I was injured so you know it's a similar right, situation yeah. I couldn't really play uh, and I was just like okay you know now what like what am I gonna do and I think um, this time also forces us to answer some hard questions like that you know is there what else is there to life can I do anything else what if also what if tennis looks different after we come back right because tennis might look different it might not it's probably not going to just go back like, okay, you know, full stadiums, full of fans. You can be uh, hang around the players' lunch and everything like always. It's probably going to look uh, a lot different. And then, yeah, how are we going to deal with it? You know, how are we going to deal without spectators? How is it going to feel to play on those big stadiums without anyone sitting there but your coach? Uh, how is it going to feel without that interaction uh, with players, you know, in the players' lunch and stuff? Right, yeah. Mm. Yeah, a, a lot of, I think a lot of possibilities and, and again, you know, how, how well do we use that time? I think it's a perfect time to reflect on so many different things and um, yeah, I, I hope that a lot of people are using it well. You've written about that, Sandra, in the writing you've done, which you've posted online as well already um, about sort of how identity can get wrapped up in being a tennis player. And I'm curious just if you, if something, it's something you, I don't know if you've spoken to Alize about this or other people in the sport now about what you know being a tennis player is such an all-consuming job that's sort of you're defining who you are in life and even even for this short sort of short time and we'll see how short it is I mean, we don't know when exactly the sport's going to come back but taking tennis away from a tennis player very suddenly and especially you know if there's not a obvious tangible cause like getting injured or something like that um i would imagine it could be very tough you know sort of mentally or emotionally for for a lot of people in the sport to suddenly have this thing that they put their entire life's effort into you know suddenly disappear this quickly and you think it's going to come back but still even just being lost without it temporarily i think could be could be pretty tough for some people yeah yeah absolutely i think that this is exactly you know those questions that we start asking ourselves like 
well, who am I if not a tennis player? And that's, um, I think that's a very individual question and it's a hard one to, to answer actually, you know, because you've got to, you've got to do some digging. You have to see what else is there besides the player. And, uh, obviously for a lot of tennis players, they don't feel like there's a lot because tennis is pretty much all they know or most that they know. Right. And, um, you know, every, everybody's kind of story and journey is different. So I cannot speak, of course, for everyone. And I don't think that we should generalize this. But um, for me, this this sort of process of getting out of this, of getting out of this mentality that I'm a tennis player and this is all that I am, it took a couple of years. But I have to say that when I, when I got out of it, I felt so much lighter, you know, like such a huge load was taken off my back and I feel like it didn't only help me as it as it like that I was a tennis player and as a tennis player because it can happen to any of us like doing anything else you know there are many other uh, pr professions which are obviously consuming if you have your own business you know if you're a doctor saving lives or well, plenty of them you can get wrapped up in that as well and then who are you when this is taken away from you? You know, uh, how do you perceive yourself? How do you perceive the world? What do you want to get out of your life? What is happiness to you? You know, so many questions that need answering. And then again, if we are forced to take the time off, they just pop up, I think, and they actually demand to be answered. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a weird thing because for so long, um, you know, there's this trope, right, that people say, oh, you know, it, it, get you get yourself a job that's your passion, like make your passion your job, right? Like that's the goal. That's the ideal. That's what everybody wants, theoretically. And I feel like uh, people who do or players and not even just players. I mean, there's those of us who work around the players uh, who also travel a lot and things like that. Like everybody who's part of the tennis road machine um, if you are a person that has that philosophy of like, yes, like I do this because this is truly my life's passion. I think that those people are the ones that are probably going to be struggling the most right now because literally that thing that you do is currently undoable. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas the people who maybe approach their careers as, I, I mean, I love tennis, like I'm passionate about it. I love competing, all these sorts of things. I love the travel, but this is not who I am this is not my sole source of joy. Uh, this is not my sole source of identity. Um, it seems to me like I've been talking to a lot of the players and coaches during the stoppage, and it, it feels like the ones that have that mentality and approach towards tennis are doing so much better right now than the mm -hmm. ones who who really, this is their everything. And so it's like a weird kind of double-edged sword, you know, of having that philosophy with respect to, to, to your job, I guess. Yeah. But, but I also think that, you know, what is passion? Like we should define what's passion because to me, uh, I'm extremely passionate about coaching. You know, I love it. It's, I mean, I miss being on the tour. I miss, I miss, you know, I miss Alize. I miss working with her, going on the court and going we on tournaments. Miss I miss all that. <laughs> For sure. I don't doubt that. <laughs> I th I think I think the day she quits will always miss her. Like 100%. I don't even want to I don't want to even think what the day is going to look like, but it's going to be a sad sad day. Okay, let's not, let's party. not think about it. It's going to be a party though. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good, sure. a good going away party for sure. Yeah. But um but you know when it comes to passion, so yeah, like I live 
I live coaching as well. You know, I love it. But to me, passion is something more. It's not literally the one thing that you do. To me, it's more um, the result that you can get from it. You know, for me, I'm passionate about people. I'm passionate about helping helping them become mm, the best right. that they can be. You know, I'm passionate about inspiring them. And then, um, of course, coaching, tennis coaching is one platform to do that. You know, I do that on the tennis court and, and I do it off the court as well. And right now I'm not able to do that. So my question to myself is, how do I keep my passion alive in times where the the primary source of that is impossible, you know? Um, so this is what I'm trying to do. And I feel like, um, yeah, that's what people should look towards, you know, when they think of their passion. It's not the thing that they do. It's the thing that they get from it. And um, And what I mean by that is, if I'm passionate about something, I'm not passionate about one thing, doing yeah. one thing. I'm passionate about something that's more global, you know, something that I can give, contribute. And what I can contribute is by, yeah, having passion to bring out the best in people. One way I do that is through being on the court and coaching players, because this is what I know pretty well. But honestly, right now, since that's not possible, I'm just looking for other ways to do that. And... Um, yeah, I still feel fulfilled, you know, I still feel like I'm contributing to the world. I'm contributing to myself as well, because I'm learning a lot through those processes. And, and I think that this is what this is what life is about, you know, life's about learning, life is about growing. And again, players will be on the court and have a part of their life on the tennis court, you know, I don't know, 30, 35 years, I mean, until they are 30 or 35, they're going to play, and then another part of their life starts. And that doesn't mean that when they quit, that suddenly life is, you know, dull and, and they're not fulfilled because the tennis is taken away from them. No, um, I think that they can still find a new passion that brings the same sort of emotions that they are looking for in their life, that they were getting through tennis. And this is what it's all about. You mentioned, Sandra, when you were talking at the beginning about being a little hesitant to get into coaching, one of the things was the lack of job security, that you can sort of lose your job at any point. And obviously, we see in tennis how often uh, players and coaches shuffle around the tour and how often changes are made, especially, I think, in women's tennis on that side of the tour right now in the last decade or so. And I'm curious for you now in this moment on tour where everyone has stopped working. And from what I'm he hearing from other coaches, I'm, I don't think I've talked to you about this directly, but uh, coaches are not currently getting paid now for the most part because players aren't getting paid. You know, at least like 90% of several coaches are not getting paid now. It's a rough estimate, maybe more than that. And I'm wondering how you adjust to that uh, going forward. And I don't, I don't know if that's something that coaches need to somehow come together and figure out rules or the tours need to come together and figure out some way to protect coaches or something that makes uh, this job possibly a little bit more certain in, a, in an uncertain world? Yeah, that's a good question. And I know there, there have been some questions raised by coaches like that. I think it's a very important issue. Um, but at the, at the moment, you know, I just don't see how that could happen. Uh, coaches being independent contractors, a little bit different than players, actually. Um, you know, there have been questions being raised by about um, health insurance and job security but I feel like and, and these are important questions you know they have to be asked and I think that it's probably not going to happen in in my coaching career but I hope that for the coaches after 
in in years time you know in 10 20 years time they are going to have better kind of outlook and and they are their jobs are going to be able to be more secure but it's a really broad issue that to me again you know I, i'm going to be honest I, I have to say that i don't even feel um equipped to answer that question because i don't know in what ways it, it can go you know i don't know enough about that and yeah i i'm very happy to contribute to whatever discussions we have with the coaches but i can only say like very little about my point of view because i've been on the tour for very very short time you know and i really i don't even know how it can work legally and if we can even create a union how does it all those things to me they are it, it's science fiction honestly Hmm. I, I guess I'm curious when you come into the tour, uh, maybe especially as one of the youngest coaches on tour, because that's not, we haven't mentioned that we talked about you being uh, a woman, which is rare, but you're also uh, in your 20s still, which is something that's very rare for coaches on tour. Also, uh, especially for you know main coaches that are hitting partners in their 20s sometimes on tour, but being a main head coach for a top player like you are, is pretty rare in your 20s. And I'm wondering just sort of what kind of to that point, what kind of like community you found in the coaches, Fenny? I mean, are you, you know, I guess you're not in the same locker room as the male coaches and so maybe you're away from most of them, but do you find that there is sort of a companionship among the, the coaches or is everyone kind of keeping to themselves in, in your experience? Yeah, I got to say, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones uh, being my age and being able to be on the tour. It's really, I think it's incredible. I'm extremely grateful and extremely happy that uh yeah i am over there and when it comes to coaches i mean i have a couple of um of coaches that i'm close with in terms of you know we like to talk about tennis and ask ourselves for advice sort of stuff like that i think it's pretty open and i think that also changed from when i came on the tour but that could be also that nobody really knew me you know at the beginning uh right now you know i'm around already for two years so you know you always see pretty much the same faces and yeah, there are a couple of guys that are, you know, I think really, really cool. I've been even in touch with some, well, pretty good and successful coaches, and they are very happy to help and talk with me about tennis, which again, you know, I'm I'm extremely grateful for because I feel like if I can learn from, well, the best coaches out there that, that you know, already um, achieved the the things that i want to achieve in my coaching career that's well there there are no better teachers than that no better mentors than than those um yeah for me it's getting it's getting better definitely than it was at the beginning and you know there are also a couple of younger coaches as well and it's nice to see those faces kind of you know changing and and rotating but okay sometimes coaches switch players or players switch coaches whichever way you want to put it but uh, it's pretty much the same people that stick around all the time. So, yeah, I think you create, you know, a little bit of uh, friendships over there. Yeah. Are these people you've been staying in touch with at all? I mean, in terms of uh, in this last, you know, couple months since the tour has stopped, are you hearing from other coaches what they're doing with their, with their players, what they're doing in terms of, you know, payment or tr- looking ahead to the future or discussing when you can best guess the tour will come back or... What is what are, what are your sort of networks, whether it's with other players that you still know or with coaches or whoever else? What are they? How's the communication level among pe- people who you knew from tour uh, right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, with the coaches, if, honestly, I'm not not talking so much about. Of course, every time we get some news from WTA, you know, we discuss 
discussed it briefly and and think like okay is this realistic or is it not realistic but all the other times we just talk about tenants because again now you know now it's the time like everybody has the time um and there's so much you can do so i'm using this opportunity and just calling up all the people that uh i admire and and i want to learn from and i'm very lucky that they want to share their knowledge and experience with me and we mostly talk about other things not not so much about what's happening anymore because you know it's not new anymore like we are in this situation already for a couple of weeks it's what it is we're just yeah not much is really changing and the WTA and the ATP they are working on uh well getting us out of this and and you know running tournaments hopefully still this year and and they are working on how it's going to look, how it can look, working on different calendars, different schedules. And yeah, we just, we really cannot do anything about it anymore. Just got to wait for, for the news. I'm curious, did you happen to see uh, the comments that were made by Dominic Team earlier this month? That yeah. got some attention? I'm, cur- I'm curious, as a, as a player, and I, I can say briefly, I mean, briefly, Team was talking about how he didn't think there was necessarily um, an obligation for higher ranked players to support players further down the ranks. And I'm curious as a player yourself who played on tour for years and did not, I don't believe you broke top hundred, I think. So what, what was, what was your reaction to hearing those, reading those comments from, uh, from a top player like that? Well, you know, or as a coach or whatever perspective you come to it with. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, he has the right to his own opinion and I, I don't think that there's a lot of like sort of, yeah, not, not such good words being thrown at, uh, at team because of that. And I think that well, it's, it's pretty actually okay that he said what he thinks, you know, that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I respect it. I think that it's great. He says what he thinks he's entitled to his own opinion. And if he thinks that way, then yeah, it's, it's his choice. But uh, if, if it was me, I can only say that, you know, I wouldn't mind it because uh, considering the amounts that they were uh, proposing over there, I think they were really, really tiny. I mean, it wouldn't make any difference to me if I had that money, if I was earning that money, if I was number, you know, five or four, whatever in the world. Um, And I would be very happy to contribute to tennis because after all, being a top player, I would feel responsible for for the sport, you know. And at the end of the day, you know, when when you are a top player, you also had to break through those rankings, so you know the reality and what's happening there. And yes, of course, there are a lot of players over there that just play and don't really put their all into it. But at the same time, it's like this in in every single other department. You know, in every company, if we if we go to business anywhere, there are people like that. But that doesn't mean that we should generalize because there are also, you know, probably more more players that are that this is their lifelong dream to become, you know, top 100, to become top 50. And they are doing everything they can in their power to to achieve that. And I think that if I was if I was in his place, I would be very happy to, you know, support them and give them the chance to actually keep on dreaming because that's what it is right now. You know, uh, so many of them are in a very hard situation. And uh, I mean, I cannot imagine... I mean, I can only imagine what, what they are thinking and and how they are dealing with all that, you know. Um, the question whether to practice or not to practice is, in their case, whether I can practice because I can spend some money on playing and practicing right now or shall I save it because the tournaments might not happen anytime soon, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, these are 
well, tough, again, tough questions for them to, to figure out. And if I, I think if I was a top player, I, I definitely wouldn't mind supporting them because, yeah, that's, that's again, my opinion. But I think that uh, everyone can, everyone thinks what they think. And, and I think it's great that he said what he thinks and how he sees it. It's, you know, it's okay. At the end of the day, it's, it's just an opinion. That's what it is. Yeah, no, I'm I'm never mad at players being maybe especially as a writer who has to tell stories and tries to in some grand sense like seek the truth in the sport to sound pretentious. Like I'm never, you know, upset when a player reveals their opinion that more than they maybe should in terms of politeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that I think that it com- it comes off harsh, but if that is how he feels and that is his clear that's his opinion on work ethic or things like that or, or what he thinks you know causes results or success in the sport then fair enough it's in, then it's and it's informative and useful to sort of know his his worldview on that and, and at the same time i do understand how it comes off as to all the lower rank players making it sound like he's calling them lazy yeah. or that he's saying that you know they're they just don't work hard enough and they don't deserve support because they're parasites or something uh and so i i understand that uh that reaction. I'm, I'm curious, just just from your time being in juniors and seeing, you know, which players were able to make their juniors into big successful pro careers and which ones had sort of medium successful careers or less success. Is there one thing that you think def- determines, or one like most important thing that determines whether or not a player will be able to achieve his or her goals on tour? Like in the end, is, is there something that it always comes down to more often than not, or is it a lot too many different things to to count that determine? success or lack of success i don't i don't think that there is like one golden rule that will you know say that somebody's gonna make it or not i think a lot of it comes down to timing because <laughs> you you've got to have good timing you know sometimes for example and and with a lot of things with the good and the bad things you know you can have good coaches throughout your career bad coaches but you can also have very bad timing when it comes to injuries let's say you know um so no, I don't think there's one thing that that defines it really. Uh, I think it would be impossible to say. But yeah, at the end of the day, you know, things like having a good work ethic, working hard, having the right people around you, good timing, taking care of your body. And of course, ideally having financial resources to do all that uh, are are pretty much like the basics to to give yourself a chance even to make it, you know, to 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 get a chance and then and and then it really is a grind you know that's what it is yeah that if i think that uh, if there was a formula for success i'm sure that either the usta the french federation the lta <laughs> or tennis australia or tennis australia would have figured it out by now but they well, have not I, I i just i just mean like more like even just like one determining personality trait or something that, not something that's you know you can put everyone on the path and everyone will succeed but something if it does come down to a player's personal work ethic or their mental strength or their technique or, you know, what kind of background they come from or something like that. If there is some, you know, if there was some through line that you see as, de- as determinative. And, and I didn't expect there to be a clean answer mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, but yeah, I was just, I was just thinking in terms of, in terms of how people, how lower rank players are reacting to team and like what they see as their own uh, challenges that maybe he they think that he doesn't appreciate those challenges, I guess. Yeah, you know, again, everybody's different. And, and I think that there is, you know, you see people with that are completely different as, as like a human beings, you know, as, as to their personality and they are successful on the tennis court. You see people that are 
a bit more talented um, and let's say lazier, kind of air quotes, lazier. Sure, yeah. Um, and and still being successful, you know, then you see players that are really hard workers and they really try and they really push so hard and somehow they just cannot get the breakthrough. So it's, there are so many things that, that, that come to it, I think, that it's really impossible to say. But I would say that timing, that's really, <laughs> but, but, you know, timing is everything in tennis or in life. I mean, you're, you're, you're half a second late, you're, you hit the ball wide, right? Uh, right. Or you hit the ball long or in the net. I mean, yeah, timing timing is everything. Definitely. I'm, I'm curious, like you were mentioning before uh, about, uh, you know, not you're not sitting at home twiddling your thumbs. It sounds like your days are pretty full and, and you've been occupying yourself with with projects and things like that. So so what has been been keeping you uh, keeping you busy uh, and allowing you to continue to kind of scratch that itch that that is your passion for for helping people for learning and, and all that stuff mm -hmm. yeah the first thing uh okay one of the things i don't want to say yet because i don't want to kind of spoil it for myself it's still like a, a longer Ooh, exciting project. it's going to take a bit longer so cool. i don't cool. want to say that out just yet but second thing that actually is coming out tomorrow i'm starting my own podcast Yes. Oh, nice. Amazing. Sorry, guys. Competition. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so that's scratching your competitive itch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. You see, we're producing all the same exactly. emotions on the tennis court. Here we go. <laughs> no, but they're they're actually in Polish because you know when I came here, I realized that there is actually no no valuable content in Polish when it comes to tennis, and um, the environment is not as greatest in in tennis at least here as i would like it to be so i thought okay what can i do to make it a bit better and i figured well you know what i know a lot of people here in poland uh, that are in tennis maybe i should just drive around and have some conversations you know and just record them and uh, that's what i did so tomorrow uh yeah it's the premiere of my first uh, podcast amazing uh, with one of an ex with an ex player she's a commentator and a coach right now and uh, every, I guess, two weeks, more podcasts are going to, to come along. And it's great because, you know, I'm also learning so much from them. It's, it's really crazy. And since I've been doing everything myself from, you know, doing the podcasts and then editing, which, by the way, is, is really nasty. And then <laughs> third of all, we both know, you know guys. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It took me 12 hours to edit my first podcast. 12 hours yeah. to do one. I was really like, are you kidding me? And I had no idea what program I should use, all that. You know, it was all like trial and error. I think I downloaded probably like seven of them. And then <laughs> <laughs> I managed to finally, to, to finally work with one. And, um, but yeah, all that, you know, it was very time consuming. And then I also got to give you my respect because I thought like, okay, you know, when you're a journalist, you just ask the questions, how hard can it be? But damn, it can be pretty hard. So... <laughs> You know, I had my script and, and I started with something and of course the, the like nervousness, you know, you can hear it in the voice I speak on the podcast and and then suddenly the answer goes somewhere else. So I cannot really ask the second question because it's about something else. So then I was just like, wow, I cannot really follow the script anymore. You know, I just got to roll along with whatever's happening. Um, so, yeah, you know, also improving my skills these kinds of skills, uh, which is new. I mean, who knows, maybe you guys are going to hire me one day when I <laughs> don't have a job on the tour or something. 
You we never were going to ask you, know, you for the job, but that's okay. That's, we'll figure it out. Ah, okay. Just just making a name for myself already, you know, just throwing yeah. it out there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, this is one thing. And I think that's really cool. It, uh, I mean, I don't know. People are going to are gonna decide that, obviously. But I am also learning a lot from this podcast, talking with those people. Uh, we are talking about really good subjects and the conversations are really easygoing, you know. They flow from one thing to another and... Uh, I think it's good, you know, you get two people that know something about tennis. I don't know if you can say a lot, but we know at least a little bit. So we we talk about it and then everybody else can hear it. I think that can be very valuable here in Poland for the for the tennis community. And then obviously the second project, which is a bit bigger, but I cannot really say it yet. So I'm sorry, guys. That, that's it. That's but okay. that's like, that's that consumes my days completely. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, Barbora Stritseva also just started her podcast uh, oh, in cool. Czech. Yeah, and uh, I think Ben and I get a little bit of 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 credit for for nudging her along uh, in January. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, and it, it's it's a very similar, and I think that's why you know probably like Ben and I started a podcast, or a lot of people. It's just like we're just having conversations that we would have anyway, and that we want to have yeah. anyway, uh, and we just hit record. You know, and yeah. maybe and hope other people might find it as entertaining as we do. And that's, you know, it's as simple as that. Yeah. And it's a good audio is a good format. I think you'll enjoy yeah. it. You'll 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 take to it very quickly. Well, I'm I'm doing it also with video, you know. So it's ah, like, okay. it's going to be on YouTube and then, you know, oh, all stuff. these other audio platforms. But yeah. Well, hopefully hopefully it, it goes as well as I hope it will. But anyway, you know, it doesn't even matter because like I said, I'm learning a lot from those things as well, uh, talking with the people. And um, to me, if you know one or two people find it valuable, that's that's already like okay, great. You know, I, I'm I'm very happy about it. Yeah. Well, we have found we are the one or two people who have already found you very valuable here in this moment, me and Courtney. So thank you very much, Sandra, for being on the podcast with us and good luck with your own look forward to, I, I can't, I will, I cannot pretend even remotely that my Polish is good enough to listen to your show, but I hope that you have all the success in the world with it. I'll say that. Well, thank you. Thank you. And you know what? Uh, I got to tell you next time when you call me for a podcast, please warn me that there are going to be some tough questions. <laughs> you ben, guys ben likes to fire the the fastballs <laughs> no i like that i really like that i was joking of course no you can call me okay. anytime and don't warn me at all just, <laughs> just make me like get me by surprise and yeah but let's do this <laughs> when you when you least expect it we'll be there thank you exactly Sandra. yeah thank you thanks a lot so thank you very much to sandra for being on the show and Best of luck to her with her new podcast, which has had three episodes go up since we recorded this, uh, our chat with her about a month ago. Uh, some interviews with some Polish tennis folks. If you speak Polish, they are all available on YouTube and other platforms, and I'm sure you will enjoy them. So thanks to her again for coming on. And thanks to you guys for listening. If you want to follow along when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. We are also contactable by email no challenges remaining at gmail.com. And thank you as always to our Patreon backers who have supported the show so much during this year, during these fairly lean times for us. Really, really do appreciate it. Our new backer to give a shout out to since our last episode, uh, Julie Westfall. Thank you to Julie. And as every episode, give our thanks to our slam champ level backers who are Jonathan Weinbaum, Liz Kennel, Susanna W., Mary Carrillo, Betty, and Schwong Nguyen. 
and also to our goat backer jod and we've gotten this question a couple times from people including recently so i want to say again on here if you want to support ncr on patreon but do not want your name said on the podcast for whatever reason that's absolutely fine just let us know we we have several silent partner patrons on here as well who we also appreciate just as much as the ones we give uh, the shout outs to so if that is a concern of yours for whatever reason that is something we can obviously make happen for you your secret will be safe with us see you guys sometime down the road bye-bye everything will come to you just let go